Hello and welcome to the Religion Media Centre podcast. We're an impartial and independent organisation providing a resource for the media to help the reporting and understanding of religion and beliefs. To find out more about us and what we offer, visit our website at religionmediacentre.org.uk. I'm Rosie Dawson, and this week I'm hosting a debate on the Church of England bishops saying they will not agree to marry same-sex couples in church. This comes after a five-year process, Living in Love and Faith, aimed at achieving a consensus among church members where the issue is bitterly divisive. We've assembled people from all sides of the debate to join in our discussion. Thank you for choosing to listen. Good afternoon, everybody. So um, it's all been a bit of a scramble to um, assemble our panel today and very grateful to people for joining us. Um, yesterday, the bishops met to decide what to put to General Synod after the end of a five-year process called Living in Love and Faith. Um, it took five minutes for their agreement to be leaked, which is why we're here two days before the formal release of their proposals on Friday. Um, so we do perhaps need to be a little bit open to learning more about the detail of what their proposals are maybe even open to surprises. Um, but what is clear, it seems now, is that the bishops will not be um, proposing to alter the church's doctrine on marriage or moving towards marrying same-sex couples in church. There is some movement, however, with proposals for prayers of thanksgiving, dedication and God's blessing for same-sex couples. So what does this mean? Is there going to be a, a welcome for this? Um, are there going to be howls? on both sides of the debate that this is a fudge and nothing has really changed. Um, I think I'll go first of all, if I may, to um, Andrew forshaw Kane from the Campaign for Equal Marriage in the Church of England. What's your response to what you've read and heard so far? Um, OK, so uh, I think the first thing to say is I'm not sure any of us on the progressive wing of the church expected to get same-sex marriage now. Um, I think what we were hoping for from the bishops was an indication that we were moving towards that. So we're disappointed that we've got nothing more um, in that direction. I suppose, speaking personally, I would say that I'm very disappointed that we appear to have wasted the last five years because the proposals that have now been brought forward aren't enormously different from those received in 2017. Um, and I'm struck by the sort of inconsistency and slight incoherence of the bishops' proposals because they're about to apologise to the gay community for the way that we've been treated over the last few years, whilst proposing to continue treating us as second-class citizens within the church and not officially recognising our relationships. They're also proposing to bless or to offer services of blessing for gay and lesbian relationships in church, whilst at the same time um, denying the theological integrity of those relationships by maintaining that marriage is only possible between a man and a woman. So I don't think many of us will be um, hard to spot the inconsistency and incoherence of what they're proposing. So I think you're right, Rosie. I think um, there's going to be um, howls of complaint both from the progressives who haven't seen the progression that we had hoped for and from the Conservatives, who, of course, will see any step towards um, welcome of gay and lesbian people in the church and our relationships as being a step too far. So that's where I am at the moment. I, 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 the inconsistency and coherence of what they're saying, it strikes me most at the moment. 
The Church of England has put out um, something today in which they say they will urge all congregations to welcome same-sex couples unreservedly and joyfully. Um, so there is, there's got to be some sense that there's there's movement on this from well, the. Well, except that they've been saying that gay and lesbian people are welcome in church for, for years, and that's not new. Right. Welcoming their relationships then. If they are saying, you know, we are going to offer prayers of thanksgiving and dedication of your relationship, that's a way of saying your relationship is holy in the eyes of God, isn't it? No, not really. I don't. I, I wouldn't say that. It's just saying it, well, you have a relationship. And, and the bishops have always said that discriminating against gay and lesbian, well, have recently said that discriminating against gay and lesbian people and those in relationships in churches is wrong, except, of course, the discrimination that they encouraged towards clergy in same-sex marriages. Um, that's that's inceptual discrimination in the bishop's eyes. Thank you. Uh, Helen Lamb, you're from the Church of England Evangelical Council. What's your response to um, what appears to be coming from the bishops on this? I think lots of uh, common feelings with Andrew, really. Uh, I think it is slightly extraordinary to hear, on the one hand, what the Church of England Evangelical Council has been uh, praying for and uh, seeking, which is an affirmation of marriage, and for Christians, marriage being between one man and one woman for life, and that that permanence, that faithfulness, and also that difference of a man and a woman being a, a fundamental part of why marriage is given to us by God as a picture of the covenant that Jesus has with his church. And that is good news, and at the same time, it seems a little bit of a Trojan horse that, well, I mean, as Andrew said, it, it's almost as though uh, I hesitate to accuse bishops of this, but they're speaking out of both sides of their mouth. On the one hand, marriage is between one man and one woman, and that is the doctrine. And on the other hand, we want to bless and say that something is holy, that we've just said God in his word says it's not. And I don't understand how those two things can happen. And I, I fear they will succeed in pleasing absolutely nobody, as Andrew said. Uh, I certainly don't think this will be the final word. And if that's what they were hoping for, I, I think... They're going to be sorely disappointed. I suspect they're going to make themselves very unpopular with Christians. You know, those of us in church congregations will say we have always wanted to make everybody feel welcome. Church is the one place that anyone can turn up. It doesn't operate for its members. It operates for the benefit of everybody. And anyone is welcome. And I hope that they would enjoy that welcome in any church they walked into. And also, Christian teaching calls us to something. And actually, what God has for us is to call us to be his children and to call us once we are his children to live out what we're called to be well, calling for, for all of us uh, I think they're making themselves unpopular in the church they're probably falling out with the wrong people because well, actually what our bishops ought to be prepared to be is unpopular with the world I mean if we want to follow Jesus we're not going to be popular well can I ask you then um what your response is to the proposals that there are prayers of thanksgiving and dedication and for God's blessing on same-sex couples I don't understand what they think that will achieve, because as Andrew has highlighted, it stops short of saying we think we can um, wholeheartedly and joyfully affirm this as a marriage, as something that God says is holy and that represents the relationship between Jesus and his church. But at the same time, we want to say that is God delighted by it. I just I don't understand what those prayers are meant to indicate. And I think it is pastorally incredibly 
hurtful. And, and yeah, I, I don't understand what they think this proposal will do. And to be perfectly honest, all of us would really rather that we could stop just debating all of this and get to a settled position and actually move on and talk about Jesus. And I'm dismayed that I think this is just going to prolong the agony that we're already in. Um, I'm sorry to put this one to you in a way, but I think I need to. I mean, the Archbishop of York was um, asked um, this morning on the Today programme whether um, gay sex was sinful. And he, um, with the help of a very poor line, um, was um, able to pretend or he hadn't heard the question or didn't hear the question or in any case didn't answer the question. And I just wonder um, what your position will be. Uh, I'm very happy to answer it. I hope I haven't got a bad line. Um, the Bible says that the only place for sex is between a man and a woman in the context of marriage for life. Now, there are all kinds of sex that are sinful, and the church is not going to be popular with the world for saying all the things that God says about it. But there's a profound reason for that, that sex is not just, it's not a recreational activity, it's not a hobby or a pastime, it's not even just an expression of feeling. It is a profound mystery that's meant to tell us something extraordinary about the way that Jesus and the church are covenanted together. And therefore, it has a particular calling. Now, absolutely every one of us suffers in thought, word and deed from sinfulness in relation to sex, as in relation to everything else. So is same-sex sexual activity part of that? Yes. If I'm not engaged in same-sex sexual activity, does that mean I'm not a sexual sinner? No. Thank so you. The Bible is pretty clear. Thank you. I will get to um, all our all our guests. Um, I just wonder if I could go to um, Charlie Bell. Um, Charlie, I, I wonder whether you have any thoughts on what position this leaves clergy in who are in same-sex relations. Yeah, thanks, Rosie. I mean, I think, you know, uh, just to echo a lot of what's already been said, obviously there are some frustrations about this, but there's also a political reality in which we find ourselves. And the reality is that um, it will be very difficult to move beyond this new position. Um, but this new position does say something. And I think what this new position says is that for the first time, we're saying that relationships between two people of the same sex are good. We're saying they're good and good comes from them. We're not saying they're equal. And I totally agree with Andrew that that's part of the issue here. But we are saying that there is good in them. And that's a fundamental shift. The problem, of course, will be for clergy, because at the moment we still have not got any proper um, uh, discussion or information from the House of Bishops. And I regret that this has come to us through leaks, but that we haven't got any appropriate or proper discussion about what the status of clergy will be. At the moment, clergy um, live under the uh, absolutely uh, absurd and frankly uh, immoral document issues in human sexuality. I understand that that is to go. One of the reasons that that is so despised is its requirement for celibacy for clergy and same-sex relationships. We don't know if that will be replaced and with what it will be replaced. But also clergy who have entered into same-sex civil marriage, um, a civil right incidentally, um, have been struck off, have lost their licences. Um, the very minimum, the very minimum that must happen from this, if we are to be consistent with saying that there is good in same-sex relationships, is that those relationships um, and those marriages should no longer be a bar to either ordination or continued ministry. And those who have been barred from ministry um, through entering same-sex same uh, civil marriage should immediately be reinstated. Uh, and if, if that does not happen, the idea of an apology rings even more hollow. We have treated our clergy abysmally for the last however many years in order simply to keep some vague sense of unity 
Thank you. Now, I'd like to go to Ian Paul, if I may. I mean, Ian, I'd like you to respond to some of those points that Charlie has raised about issues in human sexuality, if you would, please, because I think you uh, feel that logically the position on on issues in human sexuality remains the same. Yes, I do. I, I think um, there's a danger of, of having a, a radical sort of outbreak of agreement between Charlie well, Helen, that would never do. and myself. Uh, well, I think what we all agree is that this is a mess and entirely unsatisfactory. Um, I think I just want to remind everybody of a couple of uh, well, several issues of process. Firstly, we are in a weird in-between limbo land at the moment in that the meeting of the the College of Bishops, which includes all suffragan and diocesans happened yesterday however today and tomorrow is a meeting of the house of bishops and despite the leaks and despite all the statements that have been made despite the statement made by uh, archbishops justin and stephen on the llf page no decision has yet been made and it won't be until the end of the tomorrow and until friday morning when the statement is issued um so we are in in between times um I do think that makes the contribution that stephen cottrell made on radio four this morning at 12 minutes to nine absolutely extraordinary for several reasons. First of all, the one thing that everybody has been clear about is there's going to be no change in the doctrine of marriage. And to be honest, some of us knew that since last December, um, but we won't tell you why or how. <laughs> um, but what he said on Radio 4 this morning entirely contradicted that. He said, no, we're now in a new situation. It has changed and we are going to bless relationships. Well, that is entirely incompatible with the view that the doctrine of marriage has not changed. I do not understand what bishops think they're doing when they come out in public and contradict a statement that other bishops have made. It's just terribly poor process. I don't know what it's going to do to the discussions today and tomorrow. But secondly, I think as Charlie has hinted, and I think Andrew would probably agree, this is theologically incoherent. One of the things that we've been asking for for a long time is for the bishops to actually do some theology of marriage. LLF did not do that. It didn't even begin to do that. It said it didn't set out to do that. We've had no actual theological reflection happening here at all. And the doctrine of marriage cannot change unless the theological work has been done. My colleague Andrew Goddard has set that out incredibly clearly. One of the bizarre things about the Lambeth Conference was that all sorts of political manoeuvrings were happening, again, using PR as, as, as a power play. But there was no theological work to be done. I had a quick conversation with Chris, Chris Coxworth, a bit of a commentary, and he sort of rolled his eyes a little bit at the, the language of reception. There was no process of reception. The theological work has not been done, and the Church of England cannot change its position until the theological work is done and until there's a little bit of coherence. I think the one thing that I would take issue with on Charlie's comment is the idea that issues in human sexuality no longer applies. Well, issues in human sexuality was never a statement of the doctrine of the church. What it was, was offering a process and a safeguard about ensuring that we were conforming to the doctrine of the church in this in-between time. And the the, the issue has been that uh, some people think that as long as we're having discussions about this, somehow or other, the doctrine of the church has been suspended. I even heard of one suffragan bishop who said, oh no, the doctrine of the church of marriage is, is currently suspended. It's no such thing. Uh, it, the point about issues was it was actually a mechanism by which people could have the conversations to say, are you clear on the doctrine of the church and are you going to conform your life to it? And uh, the statement this morning from the Church of England says that there will, there will be, this won't be in time for Friday, I'm sure, new pastoral guidance in relation to the discernment of vocation to replace the 19-1 statement issues in human sexuality. Will, so we will... replace the ordinal. So let's, um, let, let's just... Uh, uh, leave that there for a moment. Ian mentioned Andrew Goddard and the theology he's done on this issue. He's he's uh, joined us on the call. Andrew, in in as much layperson speak as um, as you can. I mean, what are the key theological 
issues or maybe deficiencies that you see in the position that the bishops appear to be adopting? Thank you. Uh, good to be with you for the conversation. I think one of the problems at the moment is that we, we don't know exactly what the bishops are saying or how they are defending what they are saying, and therefore we're not really ready yet to evaluate it um, theologically. That will come, I hope, be their workings uh, on Friday. Um, and, and, and I think there are important questions here. It does appear that they are saying that they are not changing the doctrine of marriage, but they are changing the church's practice in a number of different areas. And I think the question, therefore, is um, how are those changes compatible with the doctrine of marriage as the church has received it and has understood it in the past? Uh, why, if we haven't changed our doctrine, were these changes not able to be implemented at any time in the last 10, 20 years in which we've been discussing this? Uh, so, for example, um, when the um, bishops um, first gave their pastoral guidance when same-sex marriage came in, um, they were clear not only that um, clergy shouldn't enter same-sex marriages, uh, but that um, in providing pastoral care for lay Christians who entered them, it would be proper to talk about why the Christians were departing from the church's teaching on this matter. Um, uh, why is it that we might now, it seems, be moving to actually a position on which the bishops, while still upholding the same doctrine of marriage, are saying that actually we can provide a liturgy to celebrate the entering into um, a, um, uh, a civil same-sex marriage? I think the theological working needs to be shown. At the minute, uh, it's not clear how those steps can be made. Uh, as has already been pointed out, living in love and faith set out some of the different views, uh, but it didn't explain the different ways of putting the pieces together. And the bishops need to do that if they're going to get a, a hearing from people across the range of different views who, to varying degrees and for different reasons, will be disappointed with some of what they're saying and scratching their heads as to why um, they are saying what they're saying now. I think it's also very important theologically for the wide ranking communion to see yeah. why the Church of England is doing what it yeah. is doing. Yeah. Yes. Um, it'll be interesting to note the uh, responses um, from them. I know, I'm just aware that um, Charlie Bell has to go shortly. So, I mean, Charlie, before you go, I don't know if there's something you want to raise about um, the, the processes in Synod and the politics of Synod and how, how Synod might respond to this, because several people have said to me they'll just chuck it out in the same way that they chucked out an earlier process, shared conversations five years ago. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's worth recognising that we can see this um, decision by the bishops in, in so much as we know what's coming from two very different perspectives, one of which is from the world looking in uh, and, the, uh, and the, the arguments that have been made and the reports that have been stated was bishops um, uh, refuse same-sex marriage. And that's certainly what I can understand people seeing from the outside. From the inside, this is as far as the bishops, I think, felt that they could go. Um, anything that would change the doctrine of marriage or um, enable marriages to take place between people of the same sex in, um, in church would require a two-thirds majority in Synod, uh, indeed a two-thirds majority understanding House of Synod. That simply would not be forthcoming. Uh, and I do think we have to be serious and uh, recognise that that is not achievable in the current Synod. Now, I would have liked bishops to have said, we still would like to have done that, it's just that we don't think it's possible. Um, I'd like to have seen a, a more courageous stand. The bishops, unfortunately, have not been known for their courage through all of this process. And this was an option, an opportunity for them to show it. And they didn't. Or indeed to say the opposite, if that's what they felt. But we have to be serious about what the politics says. This is not just about theology. It's not just about um, coherence. And actually, the political situation in which we find ourselves, whereby blessings will pass a half 
um, of Synod, almost certainly, although, as you say, people may or may not vote for this proposal, depending on the fine detail, um, blessings are likely to pass half. There is no way you could get something past two thirds of Synod. And that is ultimately what lies behind the refusal to engage in the marriage question. Foolish, I think, lacking in courage, certainly, but also pragmatic. And I think we just have to, for a moment, step back, remove all of our theological and, and personal views on this and look at what the reality is on the ground in terms of what bishops can and cannot reasonably expect to get through after they got their bloody nose in 2017 and were rejected um, pretty pretty firmly by the House of uh, Clergy. I know you've got to go, Charlie. Ian Paul would like to respond to what you have to say, so I hope you'll catch up on the on the YouTube channel later and find out what it is. Um, so I'm going to go to um, Ian, and then um, after that, we did say this would be a short Zoom, but we'll keep it going for a, a little bit longer for people to, to contribute. If people want to ask questions, please put them in the chat box or indicate that you want to ask a question. If our guests want to say something further, please indicate in the chat box too. So, um, Ian. Well, I, I think I just want to respond to the idea that what we're hearing is a response to political reality rather than, as it were, theological conviction. It seems to me that the evidence is rather the opposite, because actually if, if, if the bishops had been mindful of the, of the, as it were, the politics and the voting in Synod, I think they would have been much more coherent, because at the moment where we are, as it is unfinished, uh, as Charlie says, it's quite likely to fall the way that the uh, comment in 2017 fell. I think... We, we might even want to entertain the possibility that the reason why the bishops uh, have said clearly that they do not think there is a case for the change in the doctrine of marriage, here's one possibility. They actually believe that. <laughs> having looked at the issues and having done their own thinking, they might, they might actually have read some of the recent statements and said, do you know what? We don't find these arguments very persuasive. So I think we just ought to be, be a bit wary of reducing everything down to political reality. My, my observation is, without being too pertinent, is that the one thing the House of Bishops aren't very good at is getting the politics right. Uh, and unless something changes before Friday, I think we're going to end up with a political mess, even if there is actually, you know, some theological conviction behind it. Charlie's comment about the bishops and their, their pragmatism. I mean, what's lacking is, is leadership, really. Um, and they're bishops, and they they have deliberately taken this whole process to themselves and excluded others from sharing the process, um, including deliberately excluding the LGBT communities from the discussions that have been taking place in the last few days. Um, and yet, because then they did that because they said you know they wanted to lead Episcopal leadership, and they they aren't leading. They are floundering around and disappointing everybody. And I think that's if they if they do actually believe um, in same sex relationships, which we're told by many that they do. And I'm challenging Paul's assertion that somehow they've all decided that a conservative theology is their own theology. I don't think that's true. Um, but what they're not prepared to do is nail their colours to the mast and actually take a leadership and say, as I have done in Wales, we are going to bless relationships now but we are moving towards um marriages in church that would have been true leadership but they, they they seem to lack the spine to be able to do that and but they we know they lack spine in many other areas too really i'm not um, i'm not honestly surprised um a question to to anyone who would like to take it really is just about how how this looks to um the outside world i mean already you've you've got the um you've got the headline you know Bishops will not 
uh, marry gay people in church. So that that sort of gives a pretty clear message to people who um, receive it and and don't engage with some of the um, arguments behind it. So how does it look? Does it matter that it looks that way? I think one of the things I'd want to say is that um, we can talk about the LGBT community as if that is one cohesive group of people who are all the same. And one of the groups who uh, would also say that they've um, felt uh, overridden in this process is the group of people who hold an orthodox traditional view of marriage between one man and one woman, but who experience same-sex attraction and as Christians believe their calling is therefore to live a celibate life. And I think one of the things that listening to them has really done in uh, lots of contexts I've been involved in is made it clear why, why the Christian message is good news for everyone. There are lots of people for whom marriage is either not available to them despite their longing for it, or has been shorter than they'd hoped, or has been a very painful and difficult experience or continues to be so. And actually, we need to be careful that um, that we don't hold up marriage as if it is some panacea when the Christian gospel is much deeper that says ultimately it's meant to point us to a marriage in eternity that we'll all be part of, that will be perfect and that will fulfill our deepest longings. And that's good news whether I'm single and I wish I wasn't or whether I'm widowed and I'm devastated by that or whether I'm in a very unhappy marriage and I don't quite know how to live in those circumstances as well as for for people experiencing same-sex attraction. And There are a group of people particularly, and some of them in ministry, there are allegations now of uh, safeguarding issues where people are teaching an orthodox view on human sexuality in that context, where actually what they need to hear is that the the way that they are living is in line with God's calling on them. And it is good news. And it's good news for everybody. I'd like to go to Andrew Forshaw Kane to respond to that, if you would, Um, Andrew. I mean, I I, I guess I would note, um, and I'm sure you're You'd probably agree, Helen, that a, a lot of the evangelical message is is very sort of marriage driven, and uh, you know all sorts of people, single people, and, and so on, um, experience that as quite um, exclusive, um, as well as as gay people. I think we have very much been guilty of that in the past, and it's where we want to come back and say Jesus was a single man. You know, the church should not be a place that you have to be in a heterosexual marriage to feel that you're a, a, a first class citizen. To use that language we had earlier. Helen, I agree, the LGBT community is not one community. Absolutely, it's not. And it, it is a nonsense to lump us all together. I think I would I would say, however, that amongst gay and lesbian Christians, the vast majority would not share the outlook of a group like Living Out, which is a relatively small, if vocal and well-funded group. Um, I'd also say that celibacy absolutely is an honoured position within the church tra- church tradition. And, and we want we should want to to continue to honour and celebrate those who choose it for themselves. But there is a difference between choosing it for oneself out of a particular devotion um, and having it imposed on you by external forces against what you want in your own life. And currently the Church of England is seeking to impose celibacy on every single gay and lesbian person within the Christ- within the Church of England. And that is um, just plain simply wrong and immoral. Um, People have to be allowed the freedom of their conscience to shape their their domestic lives in the way that they they choose to do so as informed, faithful, prayerful Christians. And I suppose that's what I would be arguing for. Happy for people to be celibate if they want to be celibate. That's fine. And I would want to support people in in, in being celibate if they choose to be so. But equally, I would want to be able to celebrate people's marriages. And I would point out, by the way, that I choose to get get married. I believe in marriage and I believe that 
same-sex marriages strengthen marriage by broadening it out and bringing different perspectives to what marriage is all about. Um, I did not have a civil partnership because I don't believe in them. I believe in marriage and I think the church should be supporting marriage by including gay and lesbian people within it. Ian Paul wanted to come in. So about the position that MPs have been taking over the past few days, writing to the papers saying, you know, the Church of England's really got to sort of change its position on this. Um, and even a little bit of flexing of muscles. I mean, I don't know quite what they think they can do if, if given that the Church isn't going to change its position. But I mean, I just, I just wonder what you think that this um, says about the establishment of the Church of England, for instance. Well, I'm going to publish an article about it tomorrow. But I think my qu quick summary is that... Um, the, the MPs who are saying those things don't seem to understand either what establishment's about or even the legal situation of the Church of England. Um, I mean, it was a Church of England Assemblies Powers Act in 1919, which gave the church autonomy over its own decision making. That eventually led to the church assembly that, that then became the General Synod. And the General Synod is the second lawmaking assembly of the land. So when people say the church must conform to the law of the land, canon law is the law of the land. That's what the 1990 Act gave. The idea that that MPs should tell the church its doctrine, I think is remarkable. I can, I can think of a couple of countries where, that, where, where the state tells people what they can believe religiously. One of them is Iran, the other one is China. Uh, the idea that, I mean, Ben Bradshaw said, the church has many privileges of establishment and in return, it needs to do what we tell it. I just think that's an extraordinary idea. Maybe disestablishment will come, but, but, but if so, not in those terms. Now, I'm going to be very unfair on you all. Um, I want a yes, no, maybe, and you can have one tiny sentence attached to that, but no more. Um, I want to know whether living in love and faith has been just one enormous waste of time and money. Um, Andrew Forshaw Kane. Yes. Uh, Helen Lamb. No, because I think it has changed how we speak to each other. But if it's a Trojan horse for endless salami slicing to make pragmatic changes, then it, it will kill us all. Ian? Mostly, yes, it's been a waste of time. It, it, it's been a real missed opportunity, I think. Um, Andrew? No, I don't think it has at all. I think it's produced very helpful resources that many people have benefited from uh, engaging with. Uh, I think, as Helen said, it has also done something to help change the climate and tone of discussions. Uh, and it has the potential, we will see if they use it, uh, to have given um, the bishops um, material that they may then draw upon and explaining when we see their full explanation what they decided. Right. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for um, joining us and uh, for the friendship and the spirit in which this conversation has been conducted. Um, I appreciate it very much and I hope that you'll join us again. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Religion Media Centre podcast. To find out more about us and what we offer, visit our website at religionmediacentre.org.uk. In the meantime, we look forward to welcoming you again in the future.